Greetings, hello uh, out there to whoever has dialed this up to, to watch or to listen. Uh, my name is Tim and I am a Christian minister. I serve in the Presbyterian Church USA and a particular congregation that's in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I offer humbly for your honest to goodness consideration and reflection this message on the occasion of Pride Month, on why I affirm the goodness and the beauty of LGBTQ lives, and why I invite and challenge all of my fellow Christians to join me, and I believe to join the one we call Lord, Jesus, in this posture of love unto the LGBTQ community. For me, a Christian minister of the good news taught, modeled, proclaimed by Jesus, the, the keystone question for me in any conversation or consideration must always be, what does Jesus have to say? And not, as so many of us who have grown up in the Christian tradition have been instructed to believe, what does the Bible say? They are not always the same. Being a Christian means that I follow and worship Jesus, which means that I live in alignment with uh, the Bible sometimes, um, but other times, just like Jesus, it means that I don't live in alignment with the scriptures. Everything Jesus said, did, and asks of his followers belongs to the Bible, but not everything in the Bible belongs to Jesus and his way. And so I don't worship the Bible. I'm not seeking to build my social, political, physical, and spiritual life around the Bible. I'm seeking to build my life around the teachings and the way of Jesus. What I understand to be his will for my life and for all human life. We often in the Christian tradition refer to the Bible as the word of God. However, the foundational assertion of the Greek New Testament, which is the foundation upon which our understanding of Jesus as Lord is built, is that it is Jesus who is the true word of God and not the scriptures. It is Jesus who communicates God's ideas and expectations about humanity and all creation, and not the scriptures. It is Jesus who becomes our instruction manual for life, not the scriptures. When John was considering the best way in his gospel to, to tell the world this, this new narrative of Jesus, this is how he started that story. He said, the word of God became flesh and lived among us. There are uh, many examples in the Gospels of how that word became flesh, grew up, and in the midst of his life of witness to what's good and true, did not treat the scriptures as God's instruction manual of demands. In his tradition, the Hebrew tradition, there are 613 laws and commands of the Hebrew scriptures, and Jesus did not keep them all. 
because to him, the ultimate guide for his life was not the letter of the law, but the love of God. The chesed in Hebrew, the agape in Greek, this royal law of seeking the well-being of the other and of the whole, regardless of merit and without the expectation of anything in return. His commitment to love in all things compelled him to break or ignore some of the laws of the scriptures. He touched lepers and bleeding women. He touched and shared time with women, Samaritans, tax collectors, Romans, and robbers. He refrained from mandatory ritual hand washings. He refused to carry out capital punishments by stoning. In uh, John's gospel, there's a story of an encounter between Jesus and some legalistic Jewish leaders who, who were teaching that the scriptures were indeed God's demands and instruction manual. So Jesus happens upon a man on the Sabbath day who had been sick for nearly 40 years and had no one to help him. And so Jesus helps him and heals him and then tells him, okay, get up, take your mat and get on with your life. And, and both the healing and his command to this man were violations of the Sabbath law of the scriptures. And so the religious, legalistic leaders around him were quick to judge and condemn him. And in response, Jesus said to them, you are searching the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. But it is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I mean, this is beautiful, but it's really challenging to hear. And it's challenging because so many of us or our parents or our grandpa grandparents or someone else we love dearly spent our lives being nurtured in Christian communities that still have some measure of this scriptural legalism to them. I would guess that all of us uh, have some part of us that still wants to say, that when we have any question about life, we should search the Bible for answers. Turn to it for God's instructions, God's will, God's guidance. But Jesus said to them all those years ago and says to us in the midst of our life today, don't do that. Do not search the scriptures for life. Do not refuse to come to me for your guidance into what life is supposed to look like. And so as a Christian, I have to confess that there's ever a choice, and there's a lot of these that happen every day. If there's ever a choice between what the Bible says and what Jesus said, I choose Jesus because that's who I worship. That's who I follow. When we find ourselves asking, what is God's will for my life or for life together? What is the good and godly thing to do or say? What should my attitude be toward this person who falls into this category or has this kind of a life or comes from this particular place? The first place I go to look is to Jesus. Everything Christian is biblical, but not everything biblical is Christian. Uh, author and theologian C.S. Lewis wrote um, in a letter to someone named Mrs. Johnson in 1952 about this, he wrote, he wrote to her, it is Christ himself and not the Bible who is the true word of God. The Bible when read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers brings us to Jesus. And so we must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts 
uh, isolated from their context and read without attention to the whole nature of the books in which they occur can be taken for use as weapons. And we, we call this more contemporary, contemporarily cherry picking, pulling out pieces out of context and weaponizing them. But if we're using the Bible in a way that does not point to Jesus or make us more like him, or we are using it to justify attitudes or actions that are contradictory to him, or in ways that weaponize us in judgment or indifference, violence toward others, instead of challenging us to love, then we have allowed the Bible to usurp Jesus' place at the center of our lives. And we're worshiping something else other than Jesus. The Bible says must never be more important to us than what Jesus says. I personally am grateful that I don't worship the Bible. The Bible says so many things uh, that don't get the same attention as some of these hot button issues, uh, or in particular, the, the conversation about the LGBTQ community. It says so many things. There are hundreds of legalistic laws and norms, assigned punishments that the, but the Bible says argument seems to always neglect to consider when cherry picking out these select few um, and, and, and making demands of others. So I, I say, go read them. Google the 613 laws of the Hebrew scriptures and read them all. Some of them are wild. Some of them will make you laugh, some will make you cringe, some will make you cry, some don't make sense whatsoever, some seem barbaric, many seem antiquated, many seem profoundly anti-democracy and anti-American, and yet there are millions of Christians who are taught that it's okay to pick out one or two of these 613 in, in order to feel entitled to label and judge and condemn others while ignoring the hundreds that they don't personally abide. Now that attitude and practice is not new. In, in the Bible itself, in the letter of an early Christian leader named James, James wrote this to this kind of missing the point Christians uh, in his community that were doing this. He wrote this. He said, you do well if you fulfill the royal law of the scripture, which is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and you are convicted as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has become accountable for all of it. So to any of my fellow Christians out there who, when considering the LGBT community, have been nurtured to say, wrong, sin, I say to you with humility, if you're going to base your life on the law, then you, you, have to keep the whole law yourself. Because if you don't, that is partiality toward yourself and toward others like you. Uh, who you choose to overlook rather than to judge in the same regard. So let me know how you do with those laws about stoning your disobedient children, about not getting haircuts or tattoos, forgiving the debts of all those who owe you money, marrying your brother's widow, and not eating your meat 
anything other than well done. I say this tongue in cheek, but these are laws that we too often choose to treat differently than the ones we pick out and weaponize to hurt other people. Everything Christian is biblical, but not everything biblical is Christian. As Paul wrote to the Romans, those who choose to follow Christ are no longer bound by the disciplinarian of the law. And as James wrote, the royal law that we are all to keep is that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. A, a long time ago, when I was in my immature years, I used to be a misled and missing the point pseudo-Christian. I was legalistic and judgmental. My parents didn't point me in that direction. Um, the church youth group did. I was a, a shy and insecure kid who was unfortunately nurtured in this place that told me that I could belong, that I could be better, I could be right, I could be above others. To a shy and insecure kid, that was music to my ears. And I enjoyed the privilege of that self-righteous moral high ground until it started to crack and crumble. I saw, while um, a teenager, the, the greatest friendship I have ever known, with the exception of my friendship with Blair, my wife, I saw that friendship strained and fractured by being this sort of legalistic and judgmental bully. And that was my first wake-up call. Nothing I'd ever heard of Jesus seemed to condone that. I saw my cousin endure the trials of being a gay woman amidst a culture of pseudo-Christian judgmentalism, and I watched gladly as she found love and family. I, I slowly but surely realized that I was being awfully selective in my use of the Bible. I was guilty of that partiality, that I was awfully focused on the specks in other people's eyes and not the logs in my own, that I was awfully quick to pick up stones of judgment to throw at others, and that I was hurting and creating a rift and an animosity between myself and those I was supposed to be loving as my neighbor. I finally figured out, it got through this thick head of mine, that I was missing the point, tragically unchristian embarrassingly hypocritical, and I was able to deconstruct that legalistic religiosity and to begin to build a new Christian worldview that was actually built upon the teachings and the ways of Jesus. So yes, there are a few statements about human sexual encounters that get cherry-picked out and propped up in selective judgment of others. There's uh, one verse in the Levitical code used to label same-sex relationships as an abomination. But this uh, generalization demands that this verse be taken far out of context. This law was about pagan ritualistic sexual encounters, obligatory and not consensual, and not about committed and consensual relationships. I would hope that we could all agree that any forced or coerced sexual ritual is not a good idea and not good. 
And further, how often do Christians uh, screaming about this abomination also forget to scream with the same ferocity about all the other things that the Bible says are also abominations, like lying, crooked minds, and deceitful practices, hands that shed innocent blood and oppress the poor, one who sows discord within families, one who justifies the wicked and condemns the righteous, and all those who are arrogant. And then there's the story of Sodom, which is similar in context in that it's about forced and abusive sexual violence and not about loving relationships. The prophet Ezekiel spelled this out for his contemporaries when declaring that the sin of Sodom was its greed, its disregard for the poor, and its violence against the innocent. And there's a word from Paul in the letter to the Romans about same-sex encounters, and that's also not about natural orientations and committed relationships, but about sexual violence connected with evil, covetousness, malice, envy, and murder. That's about it. And these few bits have gotten picked up, picked out, plastered on banners about what the Bible says, pointed in hate and judgment and condemnation of others, all the while demanding that the Christian be more concerned about what the Bible says than about what Jesus says, the one we claim to be Lord and Master. And so what did Jesus say about the LGBTQ community? Well, the answer is simple, because he said nothing. He said nothing. According to uh, how many words of Jesus are read, which is an online tool for um, knowing what Jesus said, once you exclude the duplications of Jesus' different teachings and speeches uh, that are um, show up in multiple places, the total number of words not duplicated spoken by Jesus in the scriptures is 31,426. And none of them were about our LGBTQ siblings. He has one teaching where he quotes from Genesis about a man and a woman being joined together and no one separating what God has put together. But the context of that teaching was about divorce and not about sexuality. Because in his time, in his context, according to, to the law of his time, it was far too easy for a woman as property to be discarded and written off, uh, cast out in favor of a different or, or, or a newer model. At which point that discarded woman had no right to any property or financial resource, no means of providing for herself, little ability uh, within the law to remarry into another relationship that would provide her that companionship and provision. So Jesus' concern uh, in, in this marriage relationship was, was love and not legalism. And that's typical of Jesus, who always taught in ways that shifted our understanding of human relationships from law-centered to love-centered. And if we start to think, well, maybe he didn't specifically say something about the LGBTQ community because it was an accepted part of the life and law at the time that they were to be judged and condemned, then we need to realize that Jesus wasn't shy about speaking against 
those attitudes, patterns, and behaviors that were ungodly and harmful. He said much um, about the good and beautiful and true life, but he also said much about the life that's lacking goodness. And he never said a word that in any way labeled or judged or condemned the LGBTQ community. He said lots about not hoarding with greed, instead living with generosity. He said lots about not judging and labeling others with arrogance and self-righteousness, but instead to live with humility and love for every last neighbor, including those we label enemy and especially those judged and labeled and marginalized by the social norms. He said many, many, many things about the injustice and oppression and distraction of so many of the laws of his time. The, but the Bible says of his time and invited his followers to a simpler and kinder mode of living, living by the love of God rather than by the law of man. So when we uh, point our fingers in judgment, self-righteousness and hubris at what we are labeling as the sin of others, Jesus clearly commands us as his followers, as Christians, to stop worrying about the specks in their eye and instead to focus on the logs within our own eyes. When we um, are ready to pick up our stones of judgment and, and throw them in condemnation of another, Jesus clearly commands us, his followers, as Christians, to put down our stones, to walk away, and to go consider our own imperfection and how we can be a more godly and kind person. This is where we clearly see the difference between someone who lives by what the law says or what the scriptures say and someone who lives by what Jesus says. This is one of those, you have heard it said, Jesus quotes, where he says, but I say to you, and he says something that's completely different. This is how the world you will know that you are my disciples, said Jesus, that you live with love for one another. That's it. We are not Christians by our obedience to and our policing of the law with self-righteousness and hubris. We aren't Christians because of our sticks and stones. We are Christian by our ability to live with a spirit of love unto all others. We, we hear this Christianity in the story of Peter's encounter with a Gentile named Cornelius. This comes from the book of Acts. Now, the Hebrew laws said, the Bible said, that Cornelius as a Gentile was other. He was different, enemy, not godly or good. But with the guidance of the way of Jesus, Peter comes to this realization in his encounter with Cornelius. He says, I realize that what God has made clean, I must not call profane. I must not make a distinction between us and them. He used to think that they were bad, other, profane, to be avoided, defeated, or converted. But the Christian ethic says otherwise. Now Peter only saw children of God to whom and with whom he belonged. And this opened up the movement of the church out beyond the Jewish community and unto all those who were their neighbors in the world. We hear this Christianity in, in the stories of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. 
again, the Bible said, the, the Hebrew laws said all kinds of stuff about Jews and Greeks and slave persons and free persons and women and men and how they were different and, and differentiated. And there was this hierarchy, how some were, how these people were different and profane and other and sometimes enemy. But, but in taking this core teaching of Jesus to all these Greek towns, we hear in Paul's letters statements like this in Jesus, that is with Jesus and his teachings as being the authority. We know that we are all children of God. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male nor female. For all of us are one. If we think that being a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, is about demanding conformity to laws that were not instituted by Jesus, and in doing that demanding, we're actually violating his laws of love and justice and inclusion that he actually did institute, then we are very much missing the point. If this is who we are, we are revealing ourselves to be worshipers of the Bible or a set of laws or a human institution or tradition or the privilege we have because we've got that law on our side rather than worshipers of Jesus because his work was to reverse such legalism, and his hope was the opposite of this kind of differentiation, judgment, and division. His harshest critiques were not for people who were imperfect, but for the legalistic bullies who were hypocritically demanding perfection of others unnecessarily. And so here I am today affirming that my sisters and brothers of the LGBTQ community are good and beautiful children of God. You are not an abomination. You are not wrong. You are not different. You are not inferior. You are not in need of conversion. You are not unworthy of love and inclusion. And this is not my opinion. This is not my clever interpretation. This is the core clear teaching of Jesus, upon whom I base my understandings of God and the world, humanity, how we relate to one another. And I challenge and invite all of my Christian siblings to join me in this place of standing with Jesus and not these few parts of the Bible that are not from him. There were plenty of times that we can read about in the Gospels that Jesus needed to stand against the scriptures because they were unkind or harmful or lacking love or ungodly. And as those who follow him, we must stand in that place with him. It is okay, I promise, to choose Jesus over the Bible. It's what Peter and Paul and millions of Christians have done for eons. By Jesus' way in politic, we are not to call profane that which God has not. By his way in politic, there is no Jew nor Greek, no female nor male, no cisgender nor LGBTQ. There is just one people. By his way in politic. 
I reveal my Christian faith in him by my love for the LGBTQ community and not my judgment. And if I don't love, that is not their fault for being different. That is my fault for being unchristian. The goodness and beauty of the LGBTQ community is not a partisan or denominational or traditional issue, but a spiritual one. And if we are Christian, then there's very little, if any, room for debate. The choice is clear. We choose Jesus and his way of love over a Bible verse that very obviously betrays his new command. As John wrote in his first letter, seeking to proclaim what Jesus first proclaimed, that God is love. Whoever does not love does not yet know God. But everyone who does love is born of God and knows God. God is love. And love is love is love is love. Happy Pride Month. God bless you all. Take care.